What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again i appreciate you asking me back so you said you were going to pinch yourself i didn't know it was that kind of show now i mean if you guys are in the privacy of your own home if you want to do these things good how you doing chad hey johnny cool man what's going on we're ready to go or what uh, okay. hey man what's up guys this is homicide oh that's my homie homicide with a big homie club yeah that would be it hey this is david penzer and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now... They bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Wrestling brought to you today and powered by the IRW Network. Head on over to IRWNetwork.com every Monday and check out a brand new episode of the Triple Threat Podcast featuring the franchise Shane Douglas and John and myself, the two-man power trip of wrestling, talking current events, professional wrestling, and the amazing career of Shane Douglas. And it's every Monday a brand new episode drops Featuring the talk of the week, and it all goes down on IRWNetwork.com. 
So if you didn't know that by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I am joined by my tag team partner on the two-man power trip of wrestling, the one and only John Paz. And John, today we are joined by a guy who fits this show like a glove because he is an ultimate underdog, just like this show, the ultimate underdog, Mikey Whipwreck, joins today's program and Mikey Whipwreck joins a long list of ECW champions to come through the doors of the two-man Power Trip of Wrestling podcast. And we are so happy to have Mikey Whipwreck joining us this coming Saturday, August 12th, at the ECW Arena, the now 2300 Arena in South Philadelphia, joining not only Jim Ross, who you've heard from in recent weeks, but also our buddy on the Triple Threat podcast, the franchise Shane Douglas, at the Icons of Wrestling and Comic Collector Fest. It's run by the great Timothy Embler and Rob Feinstein. And these guys put on one hell of a convention. We've watched this thing grow over the last couple they've put on. And it is amazing to see the loyal and rabid professional wrestling fans that come to the arena and bask in all of the professional wrestling goodness that is packed into that historic ECW arena. And obviously, if you know anything about Mikey Whipwreck's history, you know that the ECW arena and Mikey Whipwreck have a long history together, dating back to Mikey Whipwreck breaking himself into the business and becoming the professional crash dummy for ECW, but working his way to become a fan favorite and to win the ECW championship, which if you were watching back at the time, you were so into the career of Mikey Whipwreck. You were so into watching Mikey sneak these wins and be the lovable loser on some occasions, but get that World Heavyweight Championship. Really set the mold for a lot of future championship victories that you didn't see coming because you never thought Mikey Whipwreck would have become the ECW champion. And there's so many funny stories. This is actually an interview that is really two plus years in the making because way back in the early days of this show, John had Mikey Whipwreck scheduled to come on, and we kind of had to schedule him out. We were a little new in the game, didn't really know how to work our schedules the way we do now, but we kind of lost Mikey, and that was it, and we we lost him for two years. But as Mikey explains, he is an absolute recluse. He is uh, always going off the grid, and he likes it that way, and we got him, and we are going to be so happy to be with him on Saturday. It's going to be so much fun. And really, if you're a collector, if you're an autograph collector, if you're an ECW fan and you want to come see Mikey Whipwreck, this is going to be a very, very rare opportunity to do so. So we're going to uh, really just make you get out to the 2300 Arena this coming Saturday. But John, as I welcome you in here, why don't you talk a little bit more about Mikey Whipwreck? Talk about some of the highlights, some of the career milestones that we talked about in what was a really funny interview with the underdog himself, Mikey Whipwreck. Yes, Chad, back here at the two-man power trip of wrestling, and we're about to get a little extreme. Yes, pumping up this weekend's big event at the Icons Collectors Fest at the 2300 Arena in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It is Mikey Whipwreck joining the show today. And you gotta love the return to the ECW arena. We've got Jim Ross at the show. His first time ever being a part of the ECW arena experience. And of course the franchise Shane Douglas. The man that made the ECW arena famous. Then of course the ultimate underdog himself. 
who obviously is the guest today, Mikey Whipwreck, will be joining us there for his first time there in a couple years. He was there for uh, Tommy Dreamer's House of Hardcore not too long ago, but this will be his first time signing there, and it is a rare signing indeed to get a Mikey Whipwreck signing. Like we talk about in the interview, he is very helter-skelter. I mean, sometimes he's into some signings, sometimes he's not, sometimes he just appears for a while. Like, you know, we found that he's very hard to get a hold of and very hard to, uh, you know, track down, which is on purpose, of course. Uh, he likes it that way. He likes to stay, you know, kind of in the dark on, on certain things. But it's awesome to have him come out to the arena. It's awesome to have him, you know, come be a part of the two-man power trip signing for the big one, the Icons Collector's Fest. And this is always a huge event in Philadelphia. We're really excited about it. But as far as the interview goes and as far as Mikey, he was awesome. You know, he's an unpredictable guy. You never know where you're going to get with him. But he was just unbelievable. Had one great story after another, whether he's talking about Shane Douglas and ECW, Taz and ECW, Perry Saturn, Paul Heyman. I mean, the list goes on and on. He had so many damn good stories about ECW, even about the time where he left ECW, why he left, you know, a lot of good stuff, why he went to WCW, what you know, transpired in WCW that made him quit. You also get an unbelievably funny Kurt Hennig story that he has, and I've, and I know you, you know, you've heard some Kurt Hennig stories before on our show, and obviously on the Triple Threat podcast as well. But this is a really, really funny one as well. You, you can't, you know, really miss with some great Kurt Hennig stories and some great stuff on Kurt. So that is some fun stuff, and of course, you know, his return to ECW. We go into in detail what he thought about it, and what did he think about the close of ECW, and what did he think about Paul Heyman, and kind of uh, some things that were going on with him behind the scenes, because you know, we had on C.W. Anderson, he had some, you know, somewhat negative comments to say about Paul, and how that all went down. Well, Mikey kind of is almost the other side of the spectrum, where he saw it coming, he got ready for it, he knew ECW was closing down, he kind of saw the writing on the wall, and he got the hell out of there, so listen up for a great story with that as well i don't want to just keep going on and on i want to send you over to the interview because it's a really really fun one i think you're going to laugh a lot you're really going to enjoy some great stories so sit back relax and enjoy the ultimate underdog himself mikey whipwreck absolutely and again it's this saturday the icons of wrestling at the 2300 arena in south philadelphia the iconic ECW arena and there's going to be so many ECW mainstays in the building as well as a ton of professional wrestling legends and superstars mostly from the old school there will be some newer stars walking around some independent stars will be there of course you got House of Hardcore later in the night you'll see Tommy Dreamer walking around you'll see a lot of cool and familiar faces and if you haven't been to any of these Icon Collector Fests down in Philadelphia, and if you're in the listening area, please get down there, buy a ticket, come on in and see what it's like, because we've watched this convention grow and grow and grow, and it's only going to get bigger as business picks up with Jim Ross, good old JR, the WWE Hall of Famer himself, stepping through the doors of the ECW arena for the very first time. And if you heard our interview with Jim Ross a few weeks ago, then you know that JR coming into the ECW arena is something he's looking forward to. But also when you see his former tag team partner in the broadcast booth, Jerry the King Lawler there as well, it is going to be one magical afternoon and there'll be photo ops with both Jerry Lawler as well as another former guest of ours in recent weeks, Tony Schiavone, reuniting with Jim Ross as well. So it's going to be an amazing day. And with Mikey Whipwreck there and with our good old buddy Shane Douglas there, extreme things are going to happen and you got to get down to the 2300 Arena 
in Southern Philadelphia, please check out our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash TMPT of wrestling, or go to our website, TMPT of wrestling.com and get to our Facebook page and get that information for Jim Ross, for Mikey Whipwreck, and for the franchise Shane Douglas. And join us this coming Saturday, August 12th, at the Icons of Wrestling in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So, John, with that being said, I cannot wait for that day to come. I cannot wait for the fans to enjoy this interview. And, of course, join us every Monday on the IRW Network, as I said at the top of the show. And, John, as the music starts to creep in, hit them with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and get it on over to Mikey Whipwreck. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno Sammartino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rose, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr. Glenn Kane, Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Buff Bagwell, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. And if you're on Android, please check us out on Google Play or Player FM. Follow along with a two-man power trip in 2017 as we come to a town near you. TMPT hits the road August 12th at the Icons Collector Fest in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. September 9th, the Subway one-year anniversary in Keensburg, New Jersey, with the hardcore icon, Tommy Dreamer. October 21st, we hit the Legends of the Ring in New Jersey. November 4th, we hit the big event in New York City. And the big one, the granddaddy of them all, the big guy, Wrestlecade in North Carolina on 11:25 with Arn Anderson and Telly Blanchard. There will be a Four Horsemen reunion for sure. So follow along with the two-man power trip as you never know where we may land. And now, without any further ado, a former ECW tag team champion, a former ECW television champion, a former ECW world heavyweight champion, Yes, he is an ECW Triple Crown winner. He is the ultimate underdog, Mikey Whipwreck. Please enjoy. Sleep on the love seat. Someone came saying I'm a 
a guy who will be joining us in Philadelphia at the ECW, now known as the 2300 Arena, on Saturday, August 12th for the Icons of Wrestling Convention. And it is such an aptly uh, picked guest because not only is he an ECW Triple Crown champion, he is a two-time ECW television and a three-time ECW tag team champion, but... How could we ever forget the ultimate underdog, the ECW World Heavyweight Championship, was around his waist as the one and only Mikey Whipwreck joins the program today. Mikey, how are you? Fat, but good, you know. That's a great way to start it out. That's a, that's a great way. So I guess uh, li- you're loving life then. Oh, Life. If I didn't have headaches every day and my body didn't feel like shit, I'd be uh, doing pretty good. <laughs> well, like I said off the top there, you'll be joining us in Philly at the ECW Arena. We'll just call it the ECW Arena just for shits and giggles. But you'll be joining us, and I guess the best question to start with would be, how do you feel about returning to the house uh, that you guys built, the ECW Arena down there in South Philadelphia? Uh, it's going to feel good. It's going to feel weird, though. You know, I was there like two years ago, I think, for uh, Tommy Dreamer's thing, I think. And uh, it, it's definitely got a different vibe to it now. Definitely uh, nice and clean. Looks like a professional building now. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I don't do too many of these things at all. I kind of like uh, do my own thing and go into hiding. But uh, looking forward to it, really. I think uh, not only will we, and we've seen it, but not only will you be looking forward to it, but the fans are going to respond like crazy because when any of those ECW originals step through those doors again, and like you said, there's a lot of changes to the arena, and John and I were in there a lot, a lot long after ECW had closed, so we didn't see it in its original form, but it's definitely a different space now, but... Do you think you get that same ECW feel when you go through just because those memories that live inside those walls? Uh, I'm sure, you know, pulling up to the building and stuff and all the memories that kind of go flashing through your head. It's going to be, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be cool, you know, seeing a bunch of the guys. I know uh, Bub will be around and, you know, Shane will be around and a couple of guys will be around. So it'll be uh, pretty cool. Talk about old times. And it's the best. And, yeah, we've been there for so many of these now. This is the fourth Icons and uh, being there alongside Joey Styles, his first time back in the arena and then being alongside Raven in the arena, it's just to be alongside you guys and kind of live what the fans are coming to you with and those memories and those great stories. There's good ones, and then there's bad ones, but I guess uh, when it comes to ECW, anything was and is possible. But when you get around those guys, do you think, like, does that camaraderie just come instantly back to you? And regardless if you've had beef before, it kind of subsides because you guys are still all one team in ECW. I think for the most part, I think there's a couple of us that don't uh, don't get along. I know, I know there's one person in particular that's not a big fan of mine, holding a grudge, I think, for like 20 years now, which is kind of ridiculous at this point. But, uh, yeah, no, it's cool. I mean, every now and then I'll run into somebody. Uh, it'll be like, just like old times, you know, goofing off, having a good time. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm hoping that uh, some people show up want to talk to me. I don't have that uh, notorious uh, Virgil picture floating around the Internet out there with his uh, – loads himself at the table. Hope we avoid that. <laughs> so there won't be any uh, lonely Mikey by the time uh, the uh, the Icons convention is over. I hope not. That'd be, <laughs> that'd be nice. I'd go for a couple walks. 
Tajiri and I did one one time, and it wasn't uh, promoted very well. And uh, every time the line got down to like like nobody, which is uh, unfortunately quite often, we just kind of went, oh, we'll be right back. And we kind of like walked around, got something to eat, came back. And by the time we came back, there was another line, <laughs> leave again to come back. So safe this a little bit. It looked like there was a line when we were, we were not there. It wasn't too bad. Yeah, well, the cool thing with icons is you get that, that really good Philadelphia, you know, wrestling fan, the guys that have been watching every show. I mean, I can't tell you how many people. The last time we were there, we were actually with the NWO. So that's an even different wrestling crowd. Oh, but the, just the fans that are there in attendance, it's unbelievable. Uh, the, the merch that they save, the merch that they bring up to the table, the stories that they have. I mean, it's literally uh, a wrestling fan's dream, and Philadelphia fans obviously being uh, rabid and being very passionate. They always bring a, uh, a kind of a special vibe uh, to the building, whether it's in the ECW arena or if it's in, you know, a convention center. Yeah, the Philly fans are definitely uh, definitely unique. I mean, you know, you have the New York fans, which are uh, a little more vulgar, I guess. But but the Philly fans, I think overall they're just more rabid wrestling fans, and they just you know they just talk about everything, and they just soak it up, and you know they're real appreciative too for the most part. <laughs> Maybe not everything, and, 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 and rightly so. But uh, for the most part, they love the wrestling, and when it's good, they love it. When it's not good, they let you know too. So yeah, they're fucking great. Now one of the cool the things about cursed, what we're going to be the doing. the first time I cursed on this. That was that was the uh, the Holy first official God. curse. That's a new fucking record. I'll, I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, one of the cool things about the, the show that day is not only will you be alongside John and myself, but also the, uh, the, the aforementioned Shane Douglas will be there. But how about this thrown in as a kind of a monkey wrench? Jim Ross will be alongside us as well and making his first ever trip into the ECW arena. So I think that's one little interesting little uh, minor storyline to the convention is that Jim Ross will be inside the ECW arena. Is that something that you could never have expected back in the day? No. I couldn't picture a lot of things back in the day that kind of happen now. But, I mean, Jr. is a fucking legend. I mean, what, what more can you say about that? I mean, that guy's just probably the fucking best announcer of all time. No offense to Gordon Soley and the aforementioned Joey Styles. Uh, you know, but Jr. is Jr. I mean, he's just fucking legend, Hall of Famer, as he should be. And that's just, uh, that's cool. I think I was in this him. We'll put the tables really close together. So it looks like I have a line. How about that? That's a good point. <laughs> well, the, the way Shane said it to us on our show on the Triple Threat podcast was that it's a bookend of his career because he started in the UWF with Jim Ross as the announcer and obviously known for ECW where he and you had some, uh, some you know, I, to say some interactions to say the least. Uh, it's pretty yeah. cool. So Shane really being the middle ground here between you and JR. So there's something that's a uh, seven degrees of uh, Shane Douglas. Damn, that's cool as shit. Nice. I don't even know what to say oh, about yeah. that. That's just pretty fucking cool. <laughs> it's, it's, but, like a, then, it's like a bookend for me, too. Cause, I mean, I started in the building, you know, ended in the building. I mean, I think Dreamers thing was the last big, big thing I did um, like two years ago. And I kind of I I like, I feel myself like drifting away from wrestling more and more. You know what I mean? So I feel like it's kind of like one of these, this might be like one of the last ones I do. You know, well, we'd be very happy to be uh, alongside you if it is one of the last ones you do. But how about with Jr.? I like to ask you this kind of uh, as a weird little transition here. But when you were obviously in the middle of ECW and the you know the quote unquote you know Paul being on the WWF payroll, 
Is somebody like Jim Ross to you, was he a guy that you had any contact with as uh, kind of throwing feelers out there to jump ship at any point? Or was, what, what, would, what would you kind of have interaction with a guy like Jim Ross back in the day? Would it be through somebody like Paul, or would, did you have any feelers to the WWF uh, during your ECW run? No, never sent feelers ever. Never, I never really sent feelers anywhere, to be honest. You know, and then when ECW was kind of wrapping up, you kind of see the writing on the wall. Um, it was kind of – my body was so beat to shit at that point that there'd be like no point in me even trying because I couldn't handle the schedule. I mean, ECW was hard enough two days a week, sometimes three days a week, but to do the WWS schedule, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday TV, Tuesday TV, there's just no way (laughs) that that would have ended badly, very badly. So I didn't even, uh, didn't waste my time for the most, plus I I didn't think I'd fit in uh, really anyway. I didn't really have the physique that they liked. (laughs) Well, you know, speaking of fitting in, and we're talking about ECW and stuff like that, how did you actually get into ECW? Like, how did you, you know, you go from being trained at all, or how did that kind of process go? Do you meet Heyman? Do you meet Todd Gordon? You know, how do you go about making your debut with ECW? Oh, a complete fluke. Complete and utter fluke. My my buddy Mike was training to be a wrestler with uh, uh, an enhancement talent also knows a job guy. I prefer the term job guy. But, uh, you know, for WWF in like the early 90s, I guess Sonny Blaze, and uh, he wouldn't let me pay to train because he thought I was too small. So he said, I'll, you know, clean the gym, sweep the floors, mop the floors, stuff like that. I'll kind of train you. I said, oh, cool. All right. So I kind of trained. He kind of trained what he could train us on, kind of like work the left. And pretty much that's all he taught us. No offense to him, but he didn't really know that much. Uh, and then he, he owned a ring. So ECW rented the ring one time, and you know, after the ring was up, I just kind of just, you know, test the ropes, things like that. And I kind of think I did like a high spot with my friend. I think I did like a backflip off the top, landed on my feet. And Joey Styles saw me and said, and got Paul. And then they go, hey, do you want to wrestle? I go, uh, okay. <laughs> that was it. Very uh, right place, right time. I just happened to do something, somebody saw it, and and that was it. So def- definitely, uh, I got lucky for sure. And then I got, now, then I got you in trouble first... like my my first two minutes in, in the business because uh, it was a TV taping, and they had me having like four matches or something. I don't know what it was, but uh, I didn't know. I'll tell you how much I didn't know. I didn't know that they posted a lineup. I didn't know. I didn't know anything. You know what I mean? I just know. I just knew you can kind of call spots. You know, I didn't know how to put a match together. Really, I kind of just knew I could bump. So. I was wrestling Mr. Hughes, and I didn't really know anybody. And I think Curtis had like three matches that booked that night too himself. So I said, okay, Mikey Whipwreck, go to the ring. And I'm like, okay. So I'm just sitting there. I had no idea what the hell my name was. You know, I'm like, okay. And then, you know, screaming it louder, Mikey Whipwreck, go to the ring. And I'm looking around, this Mikey guy. And then Paul Heyman comes <laughs> to the old famous Paulie Sprat. Are you going to go to the ring? I'm like, why? He goes, you're Mikey Whipwreck. And I went, oh, great. <laughs> I go to the ring. I'm in the business two minutes. I'm already going to eat. <laughs> Completely oblivious. I had no idea about anything. So it's kind of funny. Well, where, where, did the name, where did the name come from? What's that? Where did uh, the name Mikey Whipwreck come from? Well, my middle name was Michael, so I guess that's where they got Mikey from. And Whipwreck was from uh, Dennis Whipwreck, another promoter. I don't know, down in Maryland somewhere, I guess. I didn't know this either. I had no, I had no, no idea who Dennis Whipwreck was. 
I had no idea who Joel Goodhart was. I had no idea. I don't know any of these people. You know, up in the Northeast, it wasn't really independent wrestling that you got into, really, for the most part, that I was aware of. You know, it was all WWF stuff, you know, NWA. You know, I never actually got to go to the shows when they would come to your high school. So I didn't know about independent wrestling. So I heard about ECW. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. Kind of heard about it in the magazine a little bit. But I didn't know independent or, you know, outlaw shows or, yeah, I didn't know the difference. So I guess where it came from, the old promoter Dennis Whitbrick, and I think in Maryland. I love so. that he kind of didn't tell you like that was your name or he kind of didn't give you any instructions, kind of like left it to the wind almost. Yeah, had no idea. Curtis says to me, hey, you take a sidewalk slam? I said, yes, sir. Can you jump real high? I said, yes, sir. Good. That's all he said to me the whole time. I said, okay. <laughs> you know, I just remember he called the drop kick and I panicked. Going, holy this drop kick, what? And I'm thinking as as I'm running, going, Am I drop kicking him? He's like four hundred pounds, is he drop kicking me? I had I had no idea. So I just ran and he drop kicked me in the face. Didn't feel a thing. But you know, the things you don't know. Huh. So you're basically like self taught almost, like you're basically teaching yourself how to wrestle. Yes, on the job training. And then I went with uh Taz and Perry Saturn. And they stretched the shit out of me and fixed me, as they say. I took some of those bad habits I had and kind of got rid of them. You know, proper feet, you know, uh, you know, foot positions, stuff like that. I could bump and sell and do high spots like crazy. My footwork was the shits. No idea what I was doing. But once they fixed that, it seemed to click a little bit better. It is crazy, though. You know, you're, you're not really as experienced as you should be, and you're on TV and stuff. Were they paying yep. you and stuff? Because you hear rumors from ECW, even from C.W. Anderson on our show, that you don't get paid for this show, you don't get paid. Were you working for free at that point, or were you actually being paid for the shows? Uh, well, I was on the ring crew, so I was getting paid for that. And then uh, I wasn't really getting paid for it. And then it was like a house show somewhere, and Paul wanted me to take like four sidewalk slams, not four sidewalk slams, four uh, choke slams or something from 911. I said, I said to him, I said, you know, I don't really get paid for this, so I don't really know if I want to do it. And they started paying me. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> oh, it wasn't much. It was maybe like 50 bucks a night, I guess. But, you know, between the 300 I was getting for ring crew and, and the 50 bucks for wrestling, I was doing pretty good. Couldn't really complain. Really long days, driving a ring truck from Long Island, all the way down to Philly, and wherever the house show was, and all the way back. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, definitely interesting and definitely fun back in the day. I think it's something that uh, some of the kids now, they don't get. You know, they don't get the experience. They don't get the, the road stories. They don't they don't struggle too much. You know, they, they want everything handed to them. I sound like an old bitter guy now, but it, <laughs> from what I've seen out there, a lot of kids are like that. You know, when I was doing the NYWC in New York, uh, just the, the difference in attitude from even like 10 years ago to the kids coming in nowadays, how they want everything. They expect things a certain way. And if you're a little bit rough or aggressive with them, you're you're bullying them and picking on them. Like holy shit! <laughs> but, ah, yeah, it's, it's it's definitely different than it was it was back then. I'm not bitter. Do you I think don't want that, anybody to think that? Definitely not bitter. But do you think that a lot of the guys today, even some of the guys that you trained, do you think they would be able to be trained by Taz and Perry Saturn and guys like that who are probably going to stretch you like they did to you? I think some of them could, but I think the majority, a lot of it, it seems to be like the culture, just uh, you know, just in general. With the way the world is now, how people want things right now, they want it this way. They don't want to be 
talked down to. They don't want to be broken down. They don't want any of this. Uh, it just kind of seems like how a lot of the world is now. And I don't know. It's uh, to, I think to be successful and to and to be put through the paces um, the way we were back then, it definitely took a different breed. You know, you had to have that mindset that you know I don't give a shit. I'm going to make it work. I'm doing it. And I feel like you had to have that mindset, especially in ECW, because oh, they're trying to create a revolution and and they're trying to do you know all different things and kind of make themselves stand out differently. So I figure you know going from regular Eastern Championship Wrestling to Extreme Championship Wrestling, uh, you know, you know there, there's something to it where, where you got to be a little bit tougher and you might have to take some crazy bumps, like right? Like you've taken uh, probably a million? I've taken a million. I think probably a million too many. Is I feel most <laughs> days waking up in the morning. But, but that was just the mentality we had. We had that, uh, you know, Paul, for better or for worse, you, you use the term drink the Kool-Aid. But, you know, he had us in there, and we had this all this mentality that we're going to go out there, we're going to do it, we're going to do it better than other people can. Now, whether we did or not, that's a whole different story. But, I mean, we just had that attitude. We're going to go out there, we're going to do it. If you're hurt, you're going to go out there and wrestle hurt. And you're just going to get the job done. Put on the best show you can for the people. That part, maybe not the smartest move in the book. You know, there, there are plenty of times I, I, know I shouldn't have worked. You know, I should have taken the time to heal better, and I probably wouldn't be in the shape I'm in now. But, eh, you know, live and learn. But at the time, man, it was it was a great time. You know, you had that young, full of piss and vinegar. And a lot of the guys I was around were, were the guys that were, um, you know, outcasts from, you know, the WWF or WCW. And, you know, they were either been there already and came and left over in ECW. Or, you know, they were just like guys like Terry Funk, who, you know, they, they did their time and they were kind of wrapping it up. At least that's what Terry Funk said back in the day. I think. He's actually going back to Japan next month. I think again. Yeah. But yeah, did you yeah, see that? It's just, Crazy. Uh, yeah, I was like, holy shit. But you know, it's just that, that, those are the guys I was around. You know, the guys that were full of piss and vinegar. So I kind of had that. You know, being twenty-one, twenty-two years old, I kind of had that mentality too, just by default. You know, Cass was always pissed. <laughs> you know, so it's just how it was. Now, with Funk, I just wanted to mention this for one second because it's so funny. He retired in the 80s. Obviously, in 97 and ECW, kind of winding it down. He was going to retire there. He had his retirement show against Bret Hart. You think it's yeah. absolutely nuts that he's coming back at a retirement in Japan? He's going to wrestle again in a couple months? Like, what is he, like 74, 75 years old? Something like that? Yeah. He is He is amazing. Like, I, like I'm 44 now. point now where I'm like, I... Couldn't even imagine. The, the thought of having a match now is, for me, like a, a definitely no-no. But you know, he's he just still going somehow, some way. Not as often, not as fast, but I'm sure he'll be just as entertaining. You kind of caught a break yeah, from Funk, you know, back in the day where he was supposed to be teaming with Cactus, and it's just the way it worked out where he, you know, he wasn't on the show basically, and you filled in for Cactus. Was that a big like pressure moment for you? It's like, oh my god, I got a feeling for Terry Funk, and I'm going to team with Cactus Jack, two you know legit le- you know legends. Yeah, there were there were four guys when I was I wouldn't say growing up, but there were four guys that I loved the shit out of when I was wrestling. Okay, or when, when I was watching wrestling before I got in. One was Randy Savage. The other one was uh, Marty Jannetty. The other one was. 
Cactus Jack and the Ultimate Warrior. Now, <laughs> I was how the Ultimate Warrior get in there? I said, I don't know. He just did. But uh, Cactus at the time, for me, like, like 90, 91, 92, he was, he was the guy that I was watching all the time because I'm like, this guy's fucking sick. Like, this, this guy's unbelievable. And he was the guy I was like, I would bump hard like him and stuff like that. And then he came to ECW, and it was cool as shit. Got to talk to him and officially meet him. Uh, and then when I was told, when Todd Gordon told me in the, in the elevator at the, uh, the Holiday Inn, he was, oh, by the way, you're, uh, you're, you're taking Terry Funk's spot tonight. And I started laughing. Like, okay, that's pretty funny. And he goes, oh, I'm serious. I go, okay, that, that's funny. I thought he was just ripping me, you know. And then I saw Cactus, he said the same thing. And then I'm like, oh, that, this is pretty funny. And then I, I talked to Paul, and he goes, no, 100% shoot, you are taking Terry Funk's spot tonight. And then the panic set in. I'm thinking to myself, these people are going to fucking, they're going to turn on us. They're, they're going to turn on me. They're going to hate me. They're going to hate everything. They're going to boo the shit out of this. Because I, I would boo the shit out of it. Like, if I was going to see Terry Funk and I came out, I would boo the shit out of myself, too. But, uh, no, it, it worked somehow, you know. Todd and Paul, I mean, they they called it, and it definitely worked. I was I was shocked. I, I could have sworn it was going to be like a giant a giant shit taken and a giant turd, but it, it seemed to work. Absolutely, and then you and Cactus Jack win the tag team titles. You beat the public enemy. You guys become tag team champs. Was that kind of a surreal moment, you know, with Cactus winning the tag titles? Oh, yeah, because I thought the TV title was fluke enough. I said, okay, well, this this was fun. This was a little fluky thing. It had a, you know, a, little, a little ha-ha, you know, keeping it by getting disqualified stuff. That was a, a cool little ha-ha thing. But now this Cactus Jack thing, I was like, this is unbelievable. Like, come on. Like, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, it's just fucking me. Like, what the hell am, like, what the hell am I even doing here, for one? And, and two, how the hell am I team with Cactus Jack and the fucking tag team champion? It totally blew my mind. Do you think that the way that ECW put together the video packages and stuff with you and Cactus really helped put that, you know, relationship and the way you guys really just, you looked like a perfect mismatched team with you being the underdog, him being crazy and coming back from where he was. Do you think those video packages really helped put you guys over to the fans that you were like this ultimate, like, mismatched team? Oh, definitely. The, the Paul's video packages, I mean, for everybody, I mean, they – I mean, they were great. I mean, they put, you know, some some of the stupidest stuff we'd come up with. It's like, how about this? I said, okay. You know, and then we move fast forwarding a little bit. When uh, when Cactus turned on me, he goes, Mikey, I'm going to blame it on the Doritos on the front seat. I said, what? Because that, that's a true story. I was, this when uh, Pizza, not Pizza Hut, Taco Bell had like the Taco Bell Doritos. You know what I mean? And yep. I, we, would do, we, we would do the arena shows, and I would stay at his house out Long Island, and then he would take me home because I, I didn't drive. The uh, state of New York preferred I didn't drive at that point. But uh, and he, would, he would drive me home, but it, it was only like 20 minutes from my house, but being was so late, he said, Mikey, just, you know, just crash in my house. I'll take you home sometime tomorrow. I said, okay, cool. No big deal. So we would stop in the morning, and I'd stop like 7-Eleven, I'd get like, like a bagel or like a donut or something, and then, uh, you know, chocolate milk or pink milk or something, and uh, I got this bag, this giant bag of Taco Bell Doritos and ate a couple. I said, ah, I don't really like them too much. So I kind of left them on, on the front seat and he dropped me off and then he went home. Well, he calls me about an hour later 
cursing, like cursing me out in a fun way, saying, Mikey, he goes, you have that bag of Taco Bell Doritos on my car. I said, yeah. He goes, I ate the whole bag. I said, what? Because I ate the whole bag. I said, they taste like shit. He goes, no, they're really good. But this is really bad. I go, why? He goes, because I have an eating disorder. I said, apparently, because those things taste like shit. So when he turned on me, <laughs> he, he blamed it on the, on the Doritos and just stupid shit like that. You know, so, I mean, we, we definitely had a good time traveling. It was uh, good stuff. Uh, it's one of my, uh, that's one of my favorite things, especially with you two together. It's such a great pairing. But do you have any favorite uh, video package while you guys were together? Because, I mean, there's so many great one-liners that the two you had. But is there anyone that you really uh, kind of stand out as one that you look back as your favorite one? Uh, probably the one that, that, that you know, everybody talks about where, uh, I, I forget how it ends exactly, but I remember him, him yelling at the end, Mikey likes it. He really, really likes it. And that was just one of those things that was like, it was just cool. Like I'll take off the whole life serial thing. It was just, uh, it was just cool. You know, he had a lot of weird, wacky things. Like he wanted to do a promotion with uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken, KFC. Uh, he goes, Mike, you have an idea. I go, what? He goes, how about we get a sponsorship with KFC and then produce ECWs? I go, what? Think about it. KFC prevents ECWs. I go, what the fuck are ECWs? He's like, extra crispy wings. <laughs> so he wanted he wanted to talk to them about it. It didn't go nowhere. But yeah, he had all kinds of weird shit. Like he would uh he we, we did we did a tag match and he wanted to sell eight by ten. Okay, so he's got the five hundred pack of this paper. I'm like, what the fuck are you gonna do with this? I have an idea. So we have the match and he gets he gets color and he's bleeding from ear to ear. It you've seen the picture in Japan from that death match that uh that death tournament oh, yeah. he did. Oh absolutely yeah, well, not yeah, quite, iconic. Not this bad at all, but it was pretty fucking bad. And we have the match, and we go to intermission. I go, what the fuck are you going to do? He goes, oh, Cactus Jack, self-portrait, five bucks. What the fuck? People come up. They pay the five bucks. He takes the piece of paper, smacks it on his forehead, signs it, and gives it to them. Next person takes a piece of paper, smacks it on his forehead, signs it, and gives it to him. He was just taking his bloody head, smacking it into a piece of paper, and signing it and giving it to him. <laughs> must must have sold two hundred of these things. So you gotta be fucking kidding me. But yeah, it worked. He he bought one thousand leather jackets, like old school, like seen his old school leather jackets with like the uh, like the tassels on them. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Another iconic party yeah. you remember about cactus. Yeah, well he bought five hundred a thousand of these things, dirt cheap. I go, what are you gonna do with these? He goes, I'm gonna sell them. Where are you going to At the shows. I go, who's going to buy them? Everybody. I said, okay. He called them cactus jackets. <laughs> <laughs> I think he still has some left. I don't think they sold very well, but, you know, he got them dirt cheap cactus jackets. That's great. See, I could just picture you guys with that, uh, the Pulp Fiction music behind you, you know, and the, uh, the kind of the banter in between. So I got to ask, you know, I'm sure the outtakes, were just as good as what we saw in the finished product. And I don't know if a lot of people really caught that personality from a guy like Cactus Jack before he got into ECW because we were all so uh, kind of afraid of what we had heard about the guy. But what was it, what was it like, those outtakes, and kind of getting to do these promos with him? And uh, was it just as fun uh, what you guys couldn't put on camera that you did put on camera? Oh, we had so much stuff. We would just, we would just go on and we'd have like, he'd have like a premise. Like, let, let, let's just talk about this. I said, okay. And we would just go, and he was just, some of the stuff, like, we couldn't even finish. We'd just start laughing, like I would especially. 
could I just be like, are you kidding me? Like, seriously? Like, this is what we're talking about? You know, but it was just such good times, man. I mean, he just so creative and the stuff he, he could make something out of nothing. Like he loved Leonard Cohen. You guys ever heard Leonard Cohen? Yes. Yeah. You're not missing anything. So (laughs) he put on the song. It was like, Jesus was a sailor. He walked upon the water and it was like the worst shit I've ever heard. Like, and he's putting this on like, it's fucking great. Like he's I go, so I take it out, I eject it, and I put in, like, Black Sabbath or something. He looks at me like, what, what are you doing? I go, the cactus, that was fucking terrible. So he starts going off about how he is a father of young children and how he couldn't, in good conscience, allow me to listen to the likes of Ozzy Osbourne as a Christian. And he took the tape and he checked it throughout the window. <laughs> you know, but that's the stuff he talked about, like, on these promos, like Leonard Cohen. This is the stuff you come up with. Just unbelievable. Which is awesome and almost, like you said, almost unbelievable, especially coming from a crazy bastard like him. He's listening to uh, Leonard Cohen and, you know, basically getting upset that there's no uh, Ozzy Osbourne, can't listen to it in the car. Doesn't sound very That's much right. like, the, you know, the, the hardcore freak that he is. No, but but it's funny, though. He'd go from that and then, but he'd go to, like, he'd call my house. and he, I, lived, I lived at the time, I was like 20, I just turned 21, and he... I still live with my parents, right? So he calls the house, not realizing that it's my parents' line, not my own line. And he calls and he says, hey, Mikey, it's uh, your tech team partner, Cactus Jack, calling. Uh, you know, we'll meet up tomorrow at about 12 o'clock, and uh, I'll talk to you then. Oh, and by the way, Ozzy blows dead bears, he says. <laughs> and so my mom comes in and goes, um, this Cactus Jack guy called again? I go, okay, yeah. He said, you guys will meet up around 12. I said, okay. He goes, and Ozzy blows dead bears. I go, oh, uh, and my mom, who's very, <laughs> I wouldn't say she's refined, but she doesn't use any type of colorful language at all. So for her, this is like, you know, who, who the fuck is this bad influence? Who the fuck is this guy? Yeah, this is the same guy that would not allow me to listen to Ozzy Osbourne because it, uh, it's uh, satanic. But uh, Ozzy blows That's dead great. bears. Yeah. And the great thing about his run with you and your run, it's funny. It's like, you know, you coming out to one point back to loser. So you're showing a lot of personality. You're doing a lot of things. Like we kind of briefly mentioned, besides when the tag title, you were the TV champion as well. You had to win over the pit bull, but you keep growing. You keep moving up the ladder and up the ladder. You have the feud with cactus. He leaves. And then it's time to feud with the Sandman. And then the big moment happens. You win the ladder match. You win the ECW World Heavyweight Championship. Was that like a complete shock to you? You know, you're you're so over with the crowd. And then you're the ECW World Champion as the ultimate underdog. Yeah. I mean, that was like one of those, this is not going to happen. Like, there's just, <laughs> come on now. This is a uh, TV title. Okay, very good. The Cactus Jack thing. Okay, mark out moment for me. Very good, but now the, the the world champion part. I'm going this this there's no way. Like it was sort of, I can't believe it. And like I, I said to myself, I go, okay, this is where it ends because right now, after I win this thing, the people are going to turn on me and they're going to hate my fucking guts. And I wouldn't say they they hated my guts. I think, but the I think the win over Steve Austin at that point was. I wouldn't say it's the beginning of the end because that's not it's not 
exactly it. But I think that was the beginning of the the uh, the change and like the frustration for me. I think at that point, that's when it got to that. Okay, now what? You know what I mean? Because 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 where do you go from there? Then you know, I had this character. I could only evolve to a certain. He don't let me evolve to like a certain point. So it was kind of like uh, I, that's I kind of started to get frustrated at that point. So like three years of frustration. About two years. Like, where do I go now? You know. Yeah, it's almost like uh, you, you you did everything: triple crown champion, TV champ, tag champ, world champ. Where does the ultimate underdog go from there? And like you said, you 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 beat Sandman, who was obviously a multi-time ECW champion, kind of the face of ECW for a little bit, and then you beat a guy yeah. like Steve Austin who was a huge uh, name in WCW and obviously would go on to become one of the biggest stars of all time. But beating yeah. Austin, were you surprised with the booking there? Were you like, wow, I'm beating Steve Austin, the big WCW star? That, that was a weekend of like, because well, I, I wrestled uh, Mysterio the night before and beat him. And then I figured, okay, well, I'll beat Ray and then I'll lose to Steve the next night. And, you know, he's like, and I saw Steve, you know, that, you know, that afternoon. And he, he said, he's putting me over. I go, come on. So again, I thought it was a fucking rib. So I said to Paul, I go, Hey, Steve says he's putting me over. He goes, Oh yeah, it's his idea. I go, what? I go, yeah, he wants to put you over. I go, get the fuck out of here. Like he's like, yeah, the, you know, for him to beat you doesn't really do anything and we can't put the belt on him. So he, he wants to put you over. I was just like, Holy shit. I was a big fan of Steve's too. You know what I mean? So for me, it was like, Holy shit. You know, he was so great to deal with. He didn't call anything. He called, he called the finish, and that was it. And I'm like, wow. But the Sandman, he called everything from A to Z, and like every little minute detail. You know what I mean? First, we'll do this. From that, knowing everything from A to Z, to Steve, who only called the finish. So, <laughs> definitely, definitely two different worlds there. You know. And then the next month, I think we did that three-way. I think I think we did a three-way. It's, uh, yep. Sam is yeah, and that was Fancy, like yep. that was clusterfuck central. I'll be honest. I I hated that match. I hated calling it. I hated doing it. I've never watched it, but I, I still hate it now. Don't know if it's any good or not, but I just <laughs> that was just a frustrating match to call. It was just I don't know. It didn't seem to work. So, but hey, you live and learn. True, and sometimes it's a triple threat match or a three-way dance, if you will, as Heyman used to love to say. Sometimes the chemistry is just a little off because it's three guys trying to mesh, and obviously with Austin kind of calling in the ring and Sandman kind of, or you know, maybe not even calling it, Sandman wanted to call it, kind of creates a crazy yeah. dynamic. It was weird. Like, it was definitely like, it, it was definitely, uh, definitely a clash for sure. And I was like the young guy, you know what I mean? just trying to like, just keep up and kind of figure what the hell was going on, you know, but I just remember calling and it wasn't, uh, wasn't very fun. Complete opposite of the month before, but we didn't call anything, but the match was like, I love the match, but like, there was nothing to remember. It was like very easy. Just listen to Steve, you know, and then go, you know, it just, this just, it wasn't any fun. Nothing against hack. Cause hack and I had some really good matches too. I just think the three of us together, I just think that something somewhere, it didn't, uh, it didn't jive. 
Now, you created the Whippersnapper, which many people today know as the Stone Cold Stunner. Did Steve Austin, in fact, quote-unquote, borrow that move from you? <laughs> so everybody says, the funny thing is, I was talking to him about it. I got the move from uh, oh, what the hell, from Jimmy Garvin. He was... It was after the Freebirds. I forget when it was. But he came back for like a one-off, and he shaved his head in WCW. He came back for like a one-off, and he did the move. I want to say Johnny B. Bad. I could be way wrong. But I mean, he did the stunner, and he called it the 911. And I'm like, that's interesting. So I kind of put it in my back pocket. And then I started using it, and I started using it from the middle rope, which talk about uh, cutting your career short a little bit, doing that move off the middle rope every night. But, uh, but Steve says he got it from Michael Hayes who got it from, I guess he got it from Johnny Ace in uh, in Japan. But I, I found it pretty funny. I said, well, I got mine from Jimmy Garvin. He got it from Mike from uh, Michael Hayes. But I just don't think it's stolen from me. I'll just take credit for it because he has enough money. <laughs> <laughs> that was a funny thing, too. We did that, uh, we did that, uh, that ECW show for, for uh, with WWF, the first yep. one, the first pay-per-view. One I said, yeah. One, and uh, talking, sitting, talking to Steve at ringside, and we're talking about that match with Guido and Tajiri and Super Crazy, and the script says I'm supposed to do a whippersnapper to Guido off the top, off the you know, off the ropes, and Guido's like freaking out. I go, what? He goes, oh, you can't do that. I can't do what? Because you can't do the whippersnapper. I go, why? It's Steve's move. I go, what? He goes, it's Steve's move, and he's here. I go, he's right there. He's like, yeah. Well, I said, well, go ask him. So we go to him. Hey, uh, Steve. Uh, no, Mike's supposed to do the whippersnapper? And Steve's like, okay. Well, I don't, I don't, you know, it's your move. He goes, fuck, I stole it from him, son. <laughs> <laughs> so Green was like, oh, wow. But uh, it, was, it was pretty funny. I love that you're both respectively, you know, quote, unquote, stealing from the fabulous Freebirds at one point. That's pretty exactly. cool. Yeah, that's, that's what I told Steve. I go, that's so fucked up. And it's so funny too. Like I was in the mall one time, and I had some guy. Like, some, some some guy came up to me in the mall, all pissed off. I'm like, "What the what?" He's like, "Yo, Steve Austin saw your fucking move, and you don't fucking kick his ass." I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's like the stunner. Steve Austin stole the stunner from you. I'm like, okay. So this guy was in the mall with my wife here, right? And causing a scene in the middle of the mall. And this is like, fuck, like seven years ago. So it wasn't even like it was recent. You know what I mean? And this guy's like giving me shit because I never kicked Steve Austin's ass. <laughs> so I told Steve, and Steve's response was, wow, people are fucked up. I go, yes, they are, <laughs> indeed. So, so at least one Crazy. person was very upset that I, that I never kicked Steve Austin's ass for stealing my move. Crazy. That we stole from Crazy that Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> crazy that uh, Jimmy Garvin didn't want to kick uh, you know, Steve's ass, or you're right. M- maybe he does. I've, I've never seen him. <laughs> I think I've met him once. <laughs> <laughs> Probably had no idea who the fuck I was. So there you go. But <laughs> crazy thing, you know, about the ECW at that point, though, is, is there's so much going on. There's so many different feuds. There's so many different facets. Like, you know, as you move forward a little bit, obviously Austin comes and goes. Like a guy like Bam Bam Bigelow kind of comes and goes. Terry Funk comes and goes. Psycho Sid comes and goes. But th- there's always like those stalwarts, like yourself, like Taz. Did you enjoy feuding with Taz, a guy you kind of learned a lot from and got it, got over with the crowd by being such an ECW original? 
Yeah. Well, I left two at one point. I was going to leave twice, actually. Yes. But yep. uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit. But yeah, but um, Taz was easy. I mean, honestly, aside from that one suplex he throws, that, that head and arm suplex where he's got you kind of like perpendicular to his body, they kind of grab you by your under your arms and your neck. That one sucked. But all the other suplexes for him, for me, were fine. And he was punches, kick. Everything was easy, nice and light. You know what I mean? He liked to call everything. So it was really, you know, re- real fucking easy for me. So that was just one of those. Seeing Taz on the, on the list, Mikey and Taz, it was like a night off. If I could talk about that one suplex. Taz, it's not TV. Can we kind of, can we do uh, a head knock? Can we take that one out? Can we do the uh, do, do a different one? And normally he was like, oh, yeah, no problem, brother. You know. The head and arm Tazplex, yes, the dangerous. And the move. thing sucked. It, it, what? What? I'm trying to think. If he, it was on the open for a while. It was on, it, on one of the ECW shows, not shows, but one of the opens. Paul did. It was on there. Well, you see me like land on my head awkwardly and and shitty from Taz. That's the one I'm talking about. It sucked every time. Every time it sucked. You're definitely known for taking some uh, crazy bumps throughout the years and there's so many damn I mean there's so many different like kind of like you said like that that's like a moment and then you see it on the hardcore TV opening or you know you winning the title you beating Austin you have so many little moments but you mentioned that you you wanted to I know you left once for WCW but you mentioned you wanted to leave a second time what was the what was the other time you wanting to leave well I think it was the first time I was going to leave it was probably I met with them when the fuck was it it was the Great American Bash when Mysterio debuted. What was that, 90, 96? Was yep. it 96? Yeah, 96. I met with, uh, well, Nancy Sullivan, Nancy Benoit. She got me the, uh, well, I knew Kevin. You know what I mean? So she, she said, oh, do you want to get out of here? I said, well, you know, you know, whenever. So she put it together for me to talk with Kevin, and I was going to go. Like, we, I came in, they were going to have me imagine by Teddy Long, you know, it was like one of those, you know, it, it was kind of like a, not like a done deal, but it was pretty much, we, this is what's going to happen. You know, we kind of came to like a money agreement and, uh, and by money agreement said, Oh, we'll pay you this much. I said, okay, good. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was probably like, you know, like, like 75,000. You know, I'm thinking, okay, good. You know, from, from ECW for me, that's like a fucking fortune, you know, but I'm like, Oh yeah, definitely. No problem. And then, uh, Shane Douglas is the one to talk me out of it. Paulie that they're bringing me in. And then Paul Lee, I guess, spoke to Shane Douglas about it. I guess when I see Shane on the 12th, I can ask him exactly how it went. But I remember Shane pulling me aside and talking to me and saying, you shouldn't go. You know, it's, it's not what you think it's going to be. It's going to be the shits for you. And they won't use you right. And la, la, la. And I didn't go. That's the first time. So it, was, it was the Great American Bash of 96 is when I talked to him the first time. So Shane talked me out of it, told me to stick around. And then, that, and this is after now, after the, the, uh, you know, after I beat the Sam, man, after the thing with Steve Austin, it's like, well, I'm not really an underdog anymore. And I'm kind of like, well, I'm kind of just this in, in limbo stage. Um, I'm a nice utility guy, as Paul called it. He could put me in the ring with anybody and have a good match out of him. So it was okay. But there's really no push or anything going on. You know what I mean? So yep. that was a, that was okay until like ninety eight, end of like ninety eight, when I started doing that whole somewhat of a heel turn with uh, 
Jerry Lynn and Lance, Lance Storm. Kind of did that, but I kind of wasn't feeling the heel turn. It seemed like I was just like the the guy to get Lance and Jerry over. You know what I mean? Which which I was kind of cool with it because I really had no options. But then when WCW called, I'm like, okay, I'm listening. And then they offered me like really decent money. And, you know, checks are bouncing like crazy. So I'm like, I got to go. And then I uh, I took it. That was it. So so when you left, yeah. you know, when you end, end up leaving, you know, that, that first time, like we're kind of, you're kind of getting into it. So obviously you, the timing was right. You didn't like the heel turn. Obviously Shane kind of talked to you the first time, but the second time yeah. you're feeling it. When you went to WCW, you kind of made a surprise uh, debut uh, at Uncensored, you're, you're fighting Billy Kidman for, for the Cruiserweight title. Did you think, you, you know, brighter skies were ahead at that point when you landed in WCW? I thought so. I mean, I did, you know, the that, that first match, I did what they wanted. I got told about six different finishes. Um, first, Arn Anderson says that I'm up with my finish. Then Jimmy Hart comes over and says that Kidman's up with his finish. And then Paul Orndorff came over and said, I'm up with my finish. And then Dusty came over and said, I was up by DQ, but it's uncensored that he left. <laughs> and then Arn Anderson came back again, or Mike Graham came back again, and Kidman was up with his finish. I said to Kidman, I go, what the fuck do we do? He goes, whatever we hear last. I said, okay. So the last thing we heard was Kidman was up. So, you know, went out there, had the match, did uh, what Arn Anderson told me to do, and ended up getting buried for it because I guess uh, – Virgil was not happy that they had to follow us. Him and Stevie Ray in the battle of the NWO black and white. So, <laughs> remember very well. happy with us. Oh, I remember it. I had Tuesday, and I'm, the most vivid memory I have of this, it, well, two things of, the, of that whole day, was one, Bobby Heenan asking me if he could make fun of my name. And I said, Bobby, you can do whatever you want. Please, I'd be honored. And Kurt Henning blowing me off. I remember I, before the show, I went to Kurt and I introduced myself and he completely blew me off. Like if he could have said, go fuck yourself. That's what he, he might as well have said, go fuck yourself. He didn't say anything, but he said, go fuck yourself. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, oh yeah. shit. I'm like, well, I was fucking devastated. I'm going to hell. That fucking sucked. So I had the match with Kim to come back. And one of the first people I saw was Kurt Henning. He sticks his hand out and goes, Mikey, I'm Kurt Henning. It's a pleasure to meet you. And I was like, oh, hey, I met you before. He goes, forget about before. Because I thought you were just some fucking jackass there bringing in, like all the other people there bringing in. He goes, you <laughs> can fucking work. I'm like, oh, thank you, sir. But yeah, I, I just remember being completely like dejected, excited as all fucking hell that Bobby Heaton was going to make fun of me. You know what I mean? Then completely devastated that Kurt Henning blew me off. Then ecstatic, they were going to put me the belt on me my first night. Then upset they weren't. Then excited they were upset they weren't and then confused because we had no idea what the fuck we were doing and then had a good match had an initial sense of panic because we blew the first spot I remember that vividly and then being elated that Kurt Henning put me over so I thought I thought things were fine I mean I saw uh, Bret Hart the next day and he said he heard good things and everybody was telling me that you know they loved the match and it was really great you know welcome aboard and stuff like that and then I disappeared and then I was uh Babyface working with Scotty Riggs as a heel at the next pay-per-view for, like, no reason at all and putting him over. I said, okay. You know, that's when I found out that Jimmy Hart told me I got buried. 
Wow, what a whirlwind of of a time. I mean, geez, goddamn, there's so many things going on. First of all, a great yeah. match with Kidman, but then all the behind-the-scenes stuff. Then Bobby Heenan, which is an honor. You know, he makes fun of your name. And then the whole Hennig, uh, you know, they turn on you, and then he likes you. So, wow, yeah. what a whirlwind mm-hmm. of an experience in WWE. So much almost uh, politicking as well going on. Yeah, and I did politic. I'm like, whatever. I don't give a shit. Just fucking pay me. You know, and that's what Bobby Heenan said. He goes, hey, sheep dick. He goes, remember, the 1st and the 15th of every month, you get a paycheck. That's all that matters. I said, yes, sir. <laughs> that, that's all it became. I said, whatever. They weren't using me. I was sitting home. That's fine. I was making almost three grand a week to sit home. That's fine. Not a problem. You, know, you almost Bobby, feel like they had too many guys? No, they definitely had too many guys. You'd, you'd have to call up. Like, once. this is fucking hilarious. Once a week, you had to call up. You had, like, the talent hotline. Okay? And I don't know if they posted on, like, Thursday or whatever the fuck it was. But you had to call this hotline, okay? And they would they would call they would. This is the talent list. I think it was JJ Dillon who actually recorded it. This is the talent list for Monday Nitro in Cincinnati. It'd be like Asia, you know, <laughs> you know, and that was alphabetical order, listing everybody. You know what I mean? It's like holy fuck. It'd be like Medusa, Mickey James, Mikey Whipwreck. My whole, and so you had to listen to this, this 10 minute spiel listening to everybody's name if you were on Nitro or not. And if you were on Nitro, then you had to wait for your, uh, your plane tickets. We still got paper tickets back in the day. But it was, it was fucking ridiculous. Like this, I'm like, I have to sit every fucking Thursday and call this number. But I play for my friends. They go, listen to this shit. And they, they go, is your name ever on here? And I go, no, but I have to call anyway. So I'd call and listen. I said, nope, not booked. And then there was another one for Thunder. And then they would give you like the booking sheet in the mail. Like once a month, you get like the booking sheet with like all the all the TV the uh, TV tapes and all the house shows. Yeah, I was never on them. I said I don't know why they fucking send this shit. Like I was never on it. You know, but it, it was uh, it was pretty funny. So my friends would all call. It was pretty funny. They would all call the the WCW talent hotline to see if I was booked. They have to, I stopped calling. <laughs> they would just tell me, "Hey, you booked on Monday." I go, "Oh, I am." I said, "Okay, thanks." That's uh, Good stuff. pretty crazy. That that happens, but uh, it's pretty funny that Heyman, I mean, not, excuse me, not Heyman, Bobby Heenan has given you uh, so, some great advice there. Just worry about the first and the fifth. Uh, you, know, you, you may not be booked, but you're still getting paid. Exactly. He he called it. He said, you know, hey, and towards the end, he was like, this place is a sinking ship. Just take your money. He goes, when the time is right, get out. So the time became right, and I got out. And the exit, was it like an end of your contract, or were you just kind of just like, all right, uh, I'm out of here? I said, fuck it. I saw I saw them, uh, they put the cruiserweight belt in Evan Courageous, and I fucking blew a gasket. And I said, I'm fucking sitting home, and this guy who's, well, and I said to Jimmy Hart, too, about like, what was it? I think it was like Nitro. Whatever Nitro they bought Kiss in, and I had to wrestle fucking uh, Chase Tatum, I guess. That was a fucking that that match pass, but uh, yeah, I remember asking Jimmy Hart. I go, Jimmy, if I if I would get in shape, blow every spot, and have abs, but I could really suck, would I be on TV every week? He goes, Yeah, baby, with a push. <laughs> I said, <laughs> Okay, great. And then uh, then they put the, the belt on Evan, and uh, he wasn't very good, I guess. That was that was my opinion, and. He had a little bit of an attitude problem. He thought he was hot shit. So I didn't, I didn't really like him. 
But, uh, yeah, I saw him win the belt, and I, I immediately called Taz. I said, Taz, I'm going to quit. He's like, what? I said, I'm going to quit. I can't take it. I'm going to quit. He's like, well, let me, let me talk to Paul. I said, okay. So Taz called me back later. He's like, Paul's going to call you at 12 o'clock. I said, okay. So 12 o'clock, Taz calls me. Hey, Paul's going to call me at 1230. I said, okay. I called Paul at 1230. He's like, I'll call you back in an hour. I said, okay. 130. Hey, Paul, I'll call you in 20 minutes. Call me in 20 minutes. I said, okay. So we went, he went back and forth, blew me off until like 3 o'clock in the morning. So I talked to him. And I talked to him for like two hours on the phone. You know what I mean? He's like, I said, Paul, I just want to work. I said, I love to pay. Don't get me wrong. I said, my body's healed up pretty good for a while. I said, but I am absolutely fucking miserable. I said, I'm putting in my notice. I don't give, I don't give a fuck. I'm putting in my notice. And uh, he uh, said, well, you know, I, I can't give you a push. I said, I don't care. I said, I'll earn my push. I said, just, I just, want to, I just want to work. Let me work. Because I'm going to have to bury you for a while. I said, that's fine. I don't give a fuck. Just, you know. And we came to like a money agreement and put my notice in WCW and I came back. And he didn't really bury you too much. I mean, you're getting the world title shot versus Mike Awesome. You're getting a TV title shot versus RVD kind of, you know, in the mix. Did you feel yeah. you know, right back at home in ECW? Were you enjoying your ECW return? Yes. And I think that's kind of where some of the guys, some of the younger guys, they kind of were pissed off about it that I was back. You know, I, I you know, they, they said, oh, this guy fucking leaves and comes back and gets a fucking push. And I'm like, well, I wasn't really getting a push. I was just getting work. You know, and I'm like, well, don't get fucking hot at me. So I can talk to Paul. You know, I, I I made the call. He said he'd bring me back. He could have said, fuck yourself. I would have stayed in WCW. You know, but some of the guys, they, they kind of got pissy and held a grudge that I came back. But, you know, it wasn't, wasn't really my fault. I mean, at the time, I was like, wow, this sucks. You know, I feel like I'm getting heat from these guys, and, you know, it's really not my fault. You know, I thought the grass was greener, but uh, it wasn't. You know, came back. So I had to eat crow. I mean, I got that, but, you know, some of the guys were not happy I was back. But what are you going to do? Hey, you know, there's some bitter jealous guys out there. They're afraid you might take their spot. Uh, I guess, you know, it would be the case. Right? Is this like the kind of thing they're just a little jealous or a little bitter? Or, you know, they don't want that spot being taken by somebody that left them. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I definitely see their point. You know what I mean? Because we, we felt the same way when Stevie came back. When Stevie left, WCW came back. I mean, we, we kind of we kind of felt that way, too. So I, I definitely got where they were coming from. But at the same time, you know, six, seven, eight months later, it's like, all right, get over it. You know? It's like, look, if, 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 if Paul saw it in you, he would give you a spot. You know what I mean? You have to earn your spot. And, like, I felt like when I came back, I, I had something to prove that I wasn't fucking completely broken down, partly broken down. But I, I felt like I could go back and I could fucking produce and I could still contribute, you know? And that was the mentality we had. Look, if you can come in and you could take someone's spot, then you fucking take it. You know, that, that's how it always was. You know, you, you do what you can to get over. You know, so I... It did suck for a while, but at the same time, I was like, ah, well, I can't really fucking worry about it. Should I be nice? Well, all right, Paul, don't give me a push because this guy's mad. You know, it's like, yeah, get over it. But I, like I said, again, I feel I know where they're coming from because we kind of felt the same way when Stevie left to came back. So I know where they're coming from. It's just, I think to this day, some of those bad grudges are like, still there for some of them. So whatever. It is what it is, you know what I mean? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, they they, they got to get over it by now. I mean, it's been 20, 20 plus years. They got to get over it right, by now. But yeah. when you when you did return, you did kind of settle in. They put you with the sinister minister. They put you yes. with Tajiri. You guys formed the Unholy Alliance. You become a little bit of a pyromaniac. They change you up a little bit. Did you like Sinister Minister, Tajiri, the Unholy Alliance? Did you like what they were doing with you at that point? I was fucking great because that is is more like me than anything. You know I mean, I am a goofy, fucking wacky person. Like, in life, in real life. I mean, if if you see me in, in a group of people, I'm more reserved because that's just, I'm naturally, believe it or not, very, I'm very introverted. You know what I mean? If If people expect to see Mikey, then I can go out there and I can be Mikey. But if I have to be John, and be like my real self. I'm very like antisocial and like very introvert, you know, for the most part. But but I'm around people I know, I'm like my friends. That Mikey Devil Tajiri thing, that that's more like me. People who know me, I'm a goofy fuck. I'll do weird, weird wacky shit. <laughs> so that that's definitely more like it, you know. And Jerry Lynn always said he goes, "Oh man, he goes, this is so much more like you." He's like, it's like the real Mikey. I said, "No, it's the real John, but it's like the fake Mikey, but the real John." trying to be Mikey. <laughs> it was kind of funny. You know, like they say, the, the best character is the, the really amped up version of yourself. So oh. the, the Mikey character, Pyromaniac with Tajiri and the devil, that that's me in real life when I'm in my, my comfort, my comfort zone with like my friends and shit. <laughs> that is good though. You get to play, you know, somebody you know, close to the best, but with the unholy Alliance, you, you, being tag champs and everything, so they, they did give you guys a bit of push, some good matches with FBI, Simon and Swinger, Super Crazy yep. and Cash. But that last pay-per-view, Guilty as Charged, was there any sort of you know, inkling that, that it was going to be that last pay-per-view? I know you guys have that three-way dance uh, with FBI and Crazy and Cash on that show. But was right. there any sort of inkling that that was going to be the last ever ECW pay-per-view? Uh, I think there were rumblings of it. I don't think it was anything specific. We kind of saw the schedule getting lighter and lighter and lighter. You know what I mean? So it kind of it, it, it kind of felt that way, but it was nothing nothing definite. You know, because Paul said, "Oh no, we'll be fine. We'll be fine." And I think that was the last show I did. I think was there like an, an arena show after that? Yeah, there was like a house show in, uh, on the 13th. I forget. I think it was in like Alabama. It was some on ECW, like, it played no, you wouldn't expect ECW to run. No, I didn't do that. But I remember that last arena show felt really fucking weird. Oh, okay. It didn't feel right. Last arena show. But I don't remember if that was if the pay-per-view was before that or after that. But at the, the pay-per-view, it just seemed like, okay, well, I'll see you later. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Were you blindsided at all by ECW closing? Or like you said, the rumbling were there, something was uneasy, you felt it coming, you you, you basically thought it was going to happen? Oh, yeah, you kind of, you could feel it. Once, it was like a couple of weeks before you heard anything, I go, yeah, this is it. You know, and then once, once the, uh, the guys did that show in Arkansas, I think it was, when uh, Jerry called me, like, oh, maybe no more shows. I said, okay, well, <laughs> nice, nice team with you, buddy. You know, and then just, you know, kind of work your schedule out and then kind of go from there, you know. But I kind of had my calendar kind of filled for the most part. Cause I, I kind of saw it coming, you know. After a while, you kind of you kind of saw it. You, you were a wise veteran at that point. You saw I was a wise, yeah, I was a wise veteran. <laughs> yeah. What were your thoughts of 
Paul Heyman at, at that point? Were you thinking that basically, you know, he could have done better by the boys, or you think that, you know, it is what it is and, and the end is near and, and, you know, everyone should just accept it and move on? That's kind of what I felt. I mean, you, you know, look, I'm, I'm sure Paul did not want the thing to go out of business. You know what I mean? I'm sure Paul did not want to be a cog in the wheel worker for Vince. You know, it was just one of those. If he could have kept, if he kept, could have kept it going, he would have. But I just think the time came that he just couldn't do it anymore. And you know, that was just it. You know, it's not like he was getting rich and nobody else was. You know, he owed everybody money, and the way he kind of did it was kind of, was kind of shitty. You know, because he he could have got everybody the heads up, guys, look, this is it, it's done. But everybody kind of found out for sure when he showed up on Raw. <laughs> that was kind of the, uh, the beginning of the end there. Yes. Uh, it's probably not a good way for a lot of the guys to find that out. Were you owed any money? What's that? Were you owed any money from uh Oh, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember how much, but I'm still owed money. But again, what are you going to do? It's it's one of those, well, I'm not going to get it. And once the bankruptcy goes through, all, all the big wigs are going to get their money first. You know what I mean? A claim and whoever else they owed money to, they were going to get theirs first. And then the the little guys were going to fight over the pickings. So that, that was money I definitely didn't count on. Any heat or animosity on your end or your, everything was, was square? And, you know, obviously not square, but everything was okay and you were just ready to move on with your life at that point. Oh, yeah, it was fine with me. I was like, you know, because I figured this way, if, if it wasn't for Paul, there'd be no me. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I, I owed everything to him. So, could could he have ended it more gracefully and a little more upfront and honest? Yes. But he didn't. But like I said, you can kind of see it coming. So, I kind of have my schedule filled anyway. So, it wasn't like I was left completely like, oh, my God, now what? You know, the, the money would have been nice. But then again, that's how things go. Now, as I start to wind it down a bit here, I know we're talking a lot of bit about ECW got some awesome WCW stories as well, but you know, you've trained so many guys, whether it be Red, Zack Ryder, Kurt Hawkins, uh, Trent Beretta, Tony Nese, who's in WWE right now, uh, Jay Lethal, the yeah. SAT, so many guys that you've trained. Yeah. What was it kind of? What was it kind of like? When you you know obviously yourself you make it to the big time former ECW champion, what's it like when you see one of your students basically make it to the big time and really succeed in the business? Is that fulfilling for you? It's awesome. I mean, it's like seriously when when I was training guys, they they literally became my kids. I'd give them advice. You know, if they had no money to eat, I would take care of them. If you know, if they if they needed anything, you know, they knew they could come to me. Some of them still to this day. Hey, Mikey, I. I have a question. I said, okay, what's up? You know, and whether it be life advice, not that I'm like any type of uh, licensed therapist or anything or, or an expert on anything, but, you know, I, I kind of had that relationship with them where they know that if they needed something, they can come talk to me and they know that I would guide them the right way. Now, would I always provide the correct answer? No, maybe not. But I always told them exactly, I would be honest with them and tell them straight up how it is. And to see someone like, you know, Zach Ryder, who's been, who, you know, I told, he asked me too. He said, he goes, well, I don't know what, you know, what do, you know, what do I do? And I, I talked to Paul Heyman about it. He goes, they should quit. Hawkins and Ryder should both quit. I go, what? Because they should both quit. And this, this way, at least Vince knows they got balls. 
and then a couple years they can come back. It didn't actually work out that way. But, uh, you know, Ryder, who I said, well, what you got to do is you got to find something that's hip in pop culture and use that, right? So he kind of went that Jersey short, short type thing a little bit. You know what I mean? He did the, sort of the whole broski thing and that Long Island IZ and that, that YouTube thing he did. And he got himself over. Which, I'm like, oh, he's getting himself over. This is great. Like, he's actually fucking, you know, taking a little bit of advice that I gave him. You know what I mean? And then he got buried for it. So then I'm like, oh, God, now I feel like shit because I told him to go, you know what I mean? You know, <laughs> but then, you see, he kind of worked, he's kind of there and he kind of works his way up a little bit. And then for him, last year or two years ago, whatever it was, to have that, that WrestleMania moment that he wanted so bad, for me, I'm like, I was like, completely and utterly 100% fulfilled for him because that was something he always talked about. He always talked about that Razor Ramon, Shawn Michaels match. As when he was a kid, that was the fucking match. You know, that was the one that, that, you know, he remembers seeing and things like that. And for him to actually have that moment at WrestleMania, I mean, I was so happy for him. This is unbelievable. You know, and see his dad in the front row, who's like his biggest fan. That was great. Completely fulfilling. More fulfilling than anything I ever did myself. You know, I, I get more joy out of my guys, you know, when they do something that they enjoy or they get a break. Well, they do something that they like, whether it be Quiet Storm, who, whose main goal always was to wrestle in Japan. And he's over there now. He's been there forever. You know, he, he works for Noah, and that's what he wanted to do. And he thanks me for it. And, like, you know, Red, who's actually training guys now, and Red, who sent me, uh, like, a video of one of his speeches. <laughs> yeah, I said, hey, you, you sound like me when I was talking to you. He goes, yeah, and I didn't listen either. I said, well, hopefully these kids will listen. You know, or like or like Nice, <laughs> who 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 went to TNA. I told him quit TNA. TNA sucks. Quit. He goes, you'll get your break. I said, give it time. You you'll get it. And he was miserable and finally quit TNA. And then he kind of floated around doing nothing for a while. And then finally got that break with WWE. Unfortunately, he's on that Tool Live show. Which... Then I'm happy for them there too. So everybody's different, you know. It's just whatever whatever you guys want to do. That's why I asked him. So what do you want to get out of this? And once they tell me, we formulate a plan and work to get there. But, yeah, my kids' success is it's, it's the best thing for me because I hated myself wrestling. hated it. Like if I saw myself come out wrestling, I'd change the fucking channel. I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't have, like, a favorite match or some favorite matches from your career you don't even watch? Nope. I watched the match with Kidman because everybody told me it was good, so I watched it. And I had to, I'm not going to put myself over, but I kind of, when I would do stuff, I kind of know what sucked and what kind of worked. I didn't really have to watch it. You know what I mean? Like I could tell, like, oh, that wasn't good. <laughs> We're not going to try that again. Or, oh, that worked pretty good. We'll try that again. You know, but I watched that match. I watched uh, a couple of the FBI matches with Tajiri. I watched those. Um, I unfortunately watched my match with Van Hammer. A couple months ago, and that match, I go. This is why I don't watch my matches because having the match, I know what sucked. Well, I knew it was going to suck going into it. That's the first thing. And but Bobby Heenan looks at the lineup and goes, "Hey, sheep dick, who did you piss off?" I go, "Great." So I go, "Why?" <laughs> I see I'm wrestling Van Hammer. I said, "Ah, I see." But. uh you know, in, I knew what was not good in the match. Like, I could feel it. I knew it. I remember falling off the top rope. I slipped. I remember somebody hitting me on the floor. Like, I just knew, like, 
I know it sucked. I didn't need to go back and relive it. And when I watched it, I relived it, and I hated myself for like three days. God, I sucked. <laughs> Fucking horrible. <laughs> so yeah, so I don't. I don't, uh, I don't really watch my matches. Do you have some favorite opponents though? Looking back, you know, would it be, uh, you know, you and Justin Incredible have some good chemistry. Obviously, Sabu, Taz, Sandman, Shane Douglas, so many guys, uh, great guys that you wrestled. Any favorite opponents? Uh, yeah, well, Shane Douglas was one of them for sure. He was. I remember I, we we did a. Uh, we did one of those house shows where you have an opening match of Battle Royal and the winner fights the champion in the main event. Well, I won the Battle Royal. I had to work Shane in the main event. Never wrestled him before. I was scared to fucking death. Which Shane was like, you were scared? I go, I was fucking petrified. Not that he was going to beat me up or that, you know, I. it was just like I'm wrestling Shane Douglas who teamed with Ricky Steamboat who had great matches with, you know, Austin and Pillman, and here I am going to wrestle Shane Douglas. You know what I mean? I'm like, I, I don't belong anywhere near this ring. But uh, he was fucking great. I mean, Shane was great. Taz was easy. Sabu for me was easy. Uh, Sandman was very difficult and painful. Uh, Van Dam the first couple times was painful and difficult. But then I kind of figured out the timing of it. After that, it seemed it was pretty easy. Uh, Just Incredible was always fun. Jay was great. Lance Storm was great. That was the fake click. We had a fake click. <laughs> PJ, Jerry, and Lance and me, we, we had a fake click. We uh, we kept it fake. But uh, Guido was awesome. Uh, Mama Luke. Probably missing out a ton of people. There were very few people I didn't like to wrestle. You know what I mean? But you had some of those, like the, the fake click, uh, you know, Guido, uh, has Sabu and them. You, you kind of just, it just kind of just clicks, and it kind of it's actually fun, you know. But there, very few people I didn't have good matches with. C.W. Anderson was great. Had good, good uh, matches with him. Chase Tatum I did not have a good match with. Ben Hammer I did not have a good match with. <laughs> Who else? I'm trying to think of anybody else. I'm sure there's plenty of bad matches they've had. They're probably my fault though. But those are some of them. Well, it's funny you mentioned Shane because that just brings it back to what we were talking about at the beginning, and that is the big icons of wrestling convention on Saturday, August 12th. It's going to be at the now 2300 Arena. Of course, we all call it the ECW Arena. And Shane, who, like we had said before, he speaks very highly of you. He's really looking forward to seeing you. We can relive some of those matches and come uh, maybe that Battle Royal victory and uh and have a great time, but Mike, before we let you go, just kind of give the fans that last uh, little pitch, what they can look forward to uh, seeing you. You said it's a pretty rare convention appearance for you, but we're looking forward to it, and I think uh, the fans will as well. But what, will you, uh, what do you think the fans can expect, especially with your legacy there in that ECW arena? Well, it's just for me, it's just going to be nice to, to talk to some of the fans that uh, supported me or watched me throughout the years. You know, tell them how much I did appreciate it. The, uh, because without the fans, you know, there's really none of us. You know, I mean, back in the, back in the day, the fans we called the marks. You know what I mean? Because I guess that's how it was. But now that everything's evolved, and we're here in 2017, um, I really look back and appreciate uh, the dedication that the fans had, especially the ECW people down in Philly. I mean, they were fucking great. And hopefully, they don't confuse me now with King Kong Bundy. Because I hear Bundy's in the house, and uh, I look like a mini Bundy at this point. But I'm retired. Oh, so yeah. 
Well, he'll be asking for the five count. The fans will be uh, they'll be looking for Mikey. Mikey will be uh, you know telling people he hope he doesn't get killed by King Kong Bundy. So we won't uh, we'll know the difference. But Mikey, before we let you go, too, please share with the listeners where they can find you if they can find you out in the world of uh, social media and anything else anything else you got going on in your uh, little uh, your life there. Well, you guys cannot find me anywhere. How about that? And I'm not, I'm not saying that. To be, there's really there's no Facebook. There's no Twitter. There's Really nothing. I don't give out my phone number. Nobody has it. I'm kind of like a recluse, you know. So I really have nothing. I mean, there's really uh, nothing going on with me. I uh, I'm retired. I'm kind of hanging out in the northeast Pennsylvania, and that's kind of I gotta do my own thing. So, not that I'm anti wrestling. It's just I'm I've kind of kind of moved on. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. See, sometimes when we ask that question, we have guys that could go on for like six minutes. So uh, that's a perfect, uh, that's an absolutely perfect answer. That means that they have to get out to this convention and uh, and get to see you, reach out and touch it. And I think we're all looking forward to it, and it's going to be one hell of a day. It's going to be fun. It's going to be uh, gonna be interesting one way or another. I'm just, I'm just looking forward to meeting some of the fans and uh, you know seeing some of the guys I haven't seen in a while. So looking forward to it. Okay, come out of my... Uh, my reclusive state for a little while, at least one day, and go hang out. Absolutely. Well, Mikey, this has been awesome, and uh, we appreciate you taking all this time tonight and taking a walk down memory lane in those hallowed halls of that ECW arena. Thanks, guys. It's my pleasure. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.